Amen. The Lord knows, huh? Seems like my son is having a seizure. Not the first time that's happened. And uh, we trust the Lord. All will be well. Amen. Please pray for him. Uh, Pastor Brandon is out today. Um, he's in, at Christ Church Opelousas, uh, serving Pastor Stewart over there. So today I have the pleasure of opening up the word of the Lord with you. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter five. And the word of the Lord reads. So I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you to do, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but as an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Verse 5. Likewise, you younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray together. Father, you know all things. Nothing happens in the universe outside of your sovereign will. And your promise to your people is to be good to us. So we trust that all will be well with Titus and all that's going on in our lives this morning. Now, Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would direct our attention and our hearts to your word. Father, I pray that you would open up your word to us, that we might receive wisdom, encouragement, correction, rebuke, so that we might be fit to be your people and your witnesses in the earth. It is in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. I want to use for our thought this morning, 
the high priority of humility in a suffering church. The high priority of humility in a suffering church. And when I was thinking about what to use as our main meditation this morning, I thought to leave out the word suffering. And the reason I considered leaving out the word suffering is because for those of you who have been around Christ Church Northside for a while, you know from experience, from experience and because of the teaching and preaching here that all churches of Jesus Christ, all true churches of Jesus Christ are suffering churches. But for the sake of our guests and those who perhaps don't understand that, I included the word suffering. So our main thought is the high priority of humility in a local church. One of the foundational principles of naval surface warfare, and what I mean by naval surface warfare, is ships fighting at sea. One of the foundational principles is that our ships have little to no control over the attacks that come against us. We have little or no control over the threats that come against our naval vessels from the outside. The other principle is we have much control over how those attacks on our ships do damage to us, what kind of effect it has on the ship itself. And what that means for the Navy is that everyone who's assigned to a ship, everyone on board a naval ship, must be well instructed and well trained in their role. Everyone has a role on the ship. And in order for the ship to be prepared for any attack, everyone must be well versed in their particular role. When everyone on board a ship is trained, instructed, and prepared to carry out their role, in the event of an attack on the ship, then a naval ship is declared combat ready. This is the sort of thing the Apostle, Paul, the Apostle Peter has in mind when he wrote this section of scripture. What prepares a church to suffer well? We could certainly point to preaching, prayer, the covenantal commitments that uh, members have one with another. We could point to a variety of things. But here Peter points to the relationship between the church's elders and the membership that is marked by humility towards one another. You see, the churches Peter is addressing were facing what he called a fiery trial. It's just another way of saying that these churches we're under severe persecution. And Peter is concerned that for their sake, for the health of these churches, for their spiritual growth, and for their gospel witness to the world, that they would be prepared to suffer well. He wants the believers in these churches to understand that just as Jesus suffered before entering into his glory, so too must all Christians 
and churches suffer before entering into glory. That's been what he's been explaining up until this point in this letter. Now, having explained these things, Peter now gives these churches a plan for them to execute in order that they might be prepared to suffer well. His plan outlines the roles of both the elders of the church and the flock itself, and it emphasizes the importance of humility in all our relationships in the church. And that's what I want to emphasize today. This passage is one of the go-to passages that people uh, use to um, explain the eldership and qualifications for elders and whatnot. That's not what I'm going to do today. My main emphasis today is to help us to see the importance, the vital importance of humility in all our relationships in the church, including the relationship between elders and the congregation or elders in the flock. Amen? And I want us to see this call by looking at three marks of a church that's prepared to suffer well. That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three marks of a church that's prepared to suffer well. And here's the first one. A church is prepared to suffer well when the elders are humbly pastoring the flock. Peter starts by addressing the elders, the presbyters or presbyteros, right? This word in the Greek could mean just an older person, or it could, it's used to identify a leadership, a leadership role in the church. Now, in our context this morning, Peter is not talking about older folks. He's talking about an office. And he uses three words interchangeably to describe the one same office. He uses the word elder, he uses the word overseer, and he uses the word shepherd. All of these words in the New Testament identify the one and same office. Amen? That's a little bit different in our society right now. Quite often we call those who are paid or do shepherding full-time pastors, and we call everybody else elders, right? But there's no such distinction in the Bible. There's some who are especially gifted and being used in preaching and teaching, and they the Bible says, are worthy of a double portion. But an elder is a pastor is a pastor is an elder, amen? That's how I'm going to use it today. It's also important to note that Peter is addressing the elders, plural, plural. That is, the normal arrangement in the New Testament is to have a group of elders or a plurality of elders over a church in any given location. So that's what Peter's doing. He's addressing the elders. Amen? Now, Peter's exhortation to the elders begins with him explaining to them their focus of attention, their assignment, and their attitude. First, what is the focus of the attention for an elder? It's pretty simple. An elder's focus of attention is the crucified Christ. An elder's focus of attention is Christ Jesus himself. 
He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Right out the gate, Peter signals the high priority of humility in the eldership. How does he do that? Well, as we all know, Peter is indeed an apostle, right? He is specially called by Jesus himself to be one of the foundation pieces in the church. He's an apostle. But rather than referring to himself by that title, in an act of humility, in order to identify with the men that he's writing to, Peter refers to himself as a fellow elder. He refers to himself as a fellow elder. He sets aside the lofty title and refers to himself with a more modest title of fellow elders. Peter is signaling to these elders that fundamental or foundational to being an elder is to walk in humility. He explains to the elders that their focus of attention is particularly Christ and his suffering and the glory he entered into after his suffering. In other words, the focus of an elder's ministry is the cross of Christ and all the implications of the cross. That's what the Apostle Paul meant when he wrote in Corinthians, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. What did Paul mean? Did he mean that he didn't teach or preach anything other than Christ crucified? Certainly not. Paul taught all kinds of things, right? But what he meant was that Jesus and the cross was the focal point of his ministry. Amen? It was the focal point of his ministry. Peter is saying the same thing here. There are many things that the elders of the church must give themselves to. We preach and teach about marriage. We talk about parenting. We talk about vocation. There's a variety of things that we must give attention to in order to care for the flock. But if an elder is going to be found faithful, if a group of elders are going to be found faithful to the call of an elder, our priority, the focal point of our ministry, must be the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? If a church's elders have not made Jesus Christ the focus of their ministry, then it's very unlikely that Jesus Christ will be the focus of the congregation's life. And so this is a non-negotiable. Christ must be at the center of the elders' ministry. Next, Peter explains the elders' assignment. Here's the assignment. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Now, the phrase, look at verse 2 carefully, the phrase, the flock of God, should immediately cause us to slow down, to pause, and to humble ourselves. See, I'm concerned that this is the kind of phrase that we read in the Bible and we just kind of get through it with very little contemplation. Peter is telling us plainly who the flock belongs to. 
He's saying to elders and prospective elders, gentlemen, the flock belongs to God. The flock doesn't belong to any particular elder. The flock does not belong to the Pope. The flock does not belong to some mighty international leader. The flock belongs to God. By implication, he's saying to every church member, church members, sheep, the flock, the flock belongs to God. Amen? That's very important. It's so important. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in Acts chapter 20. Listen to how he puts it. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. He's talking to the Ephesian elders here in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Listen to this. He's going to tell us why the flock belongs to God, which he purchased with his own blood. The reason the flock belongs to Jesus is because he purchased it with his own blood. No elder, no pontiff, no one has ever shed blood nor could shed blood to redeem the church except Jesus Christ himself. And that should sober us. And the reason I'm highlighting it is, is because we live in a culture that is very loose in the way we talk about the flock of God. Whether it's the flock we belong in or some other flock somewhere, we're very loose in the way we talk about it. And what we forget is the flock does not belong to us. The flock belongs to God. When I was in the United States Navy, I figured out very quickly that one ought not to fool around with the Navy's property. One ought not to fool around with the United States government's money. They will put you in jail for messing with their stuff. And how much more should we be careful and circumspect about how we deal with the flock that belongs to God? Before you open your mouth about God's flock, take stock of what you're about to do. Before you comment on something that's happening in this church or in some other church that you don't even belong to, take stock of what you're about to do. You're about to handle the flock of God that Jesus purchased with his own precious blood. That should humble all of us. That's my point. That's, that's why I'm going there, because we live in that kind of culture where you just get to say whatever you want. Before you speak about those who are part of God's flock, be careful. Amen. So the elders' assignment is caring for the people of God. We shepherd the flock. Now, please note that these elders are not referred to as motivational speakers. 
We're not polished speakers. That's not what we're called to be. Although we do speak the wisdom of God. We're not therapists. We use God's word to bring about change in people, but we're not therapists. We are not gurus or shamans. We're not people who sit around and just delge out knowledge. We are not the fount of knowledge. The Bible calls us shepherds. Shepherds. We we pastor the flock of God by first knowing the flock and being known by the flock. I hope you know your elders. I hope you are known by your elders. That's certainly my desire is to get to know each one of you. And to some degree I do. This is why Peter says for us to shepherd the flock that is among you. He's reminding elders that we are called to shepherd a particular group of people, a limited group of people. I will not be called to give an account for our Savior's church, Opelousas, although it is less than three Miles away from my house. I will not be called to give an account for anybody that belongs to that church. I will not be called to give an account for Tesh Baptist Church in Brobridge. But I will be called to give an account. Me, along with Pastor Brandon and Pastor Scott and David England and David Raleigh and Pastor Stewart and Tim Schultz, we will be called to give an account for those who are part of the flock of Christ Church of Acadiana. That's what it means that we're called to shepherd the flock of God. No man is called to pastor all the church. No matter who he is, we are called to a specific group of people. And we shepherd these people by feeding the flock, preaching the word of God by protecting the flock, guarding the flock from false doctrine and false teachers, counseling and correcting the people of the flock when it's necessary, binding up the wombs of the sheep, praying for the flock. Pastoring is hard work. Now, I might sound self-serving here, but on behalf of Pastor Brandon, Pastor Scott, and all the men who serve even bivocationally, shepherding is hard work. And it's hard work because you don't get to leave things behind at closing time. When I was in the Navy, we had this term, it was called knock-off. Knock-off ship's work. And when I was a chief, all my people wanted to know is, chief, what time is knockoff today? What time do we get to leave all this behind and go home and enjoy ourselves? There's no knockoff for a pastor. There's no knockoff for your elders. We don't get to leave people's problems 
alone after 4 o'clock. Pastor, 24 hours a day. Many of your pastors deal with the guilt of the idea that we don't work straight eight hours. I've been a pastor for 14 years, and I've worked some 18-hour days, but I don't work eight hours every day. But I, before God, can say that I am a pastor 24 hours. I'm available to you 24 hours a day. If you call, I will drop what I'm doing to tend to you. That's what pastors do. Pastoring is hard work. Pray for your pastors, please. Pray for us. We have to continue to care for the flock even when our own families are hurting. I want to be at the hospital with my son. And my mind is a little bit off right now, so please forgive me. But that's what it means to shepherd the flock of God, to pastor God's people. Peter sums up the elders' assignment with the phrase, exercising oversight. And by oversight, he does not mean overlording. Oversight is simply uh, a reminder that we must give an account to God. We must pastor in such a way that we can give an account to God for his flock. That's the assignment of the elder. Lastly, Peter describes the attitude an elder must possess. He describes it with three contrasts, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you to do. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but by being examples to the flock. First, an elder should not serve because someone asked him to. Or someone's compelled him to. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if a man desires the work of elder, he aspires to a good work. That is, a man should sense an abiding internal call from God to be an elder in his church. Without this call, without this Eternal, internal sense of calling, there is no way that a man can endure the day-to-day rigors of the eldership. That's why so many men quit being pastors, especially vocational, because there is no internal calling that's been confirmed outwardly. And so an elder should serve because he aspires to the work. There must be an enthusiasm about serving God's church, a desire because God's placed it there. Secondly, a man should not serve as an elder for financial gain or power, and many do. There are many men who enter into the ministry for financial gain and trust. I, I guess some people get rich doing this, right? Ain't nobody in Christ Church of Acadiana getting rich pastoring, okay? I hope y'all know that, right? But some men do, and Scripture would say that they bring judgment on themselves for doing so. But an elder should serve eagerly. There should be a delight in serving as an elder. 
I love being a pastor. I don't love the drama, but the drama is part of the work. The problems are part of the work, and I love being a pastor. And I know that all your pastors, I could speak for them, they love what they do. I don't mean there aren't tough moments, but an elder must have a desire and enthusiasm to serve. Finally, an elder must not serve in a domineering manner, but as an example to the flock. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but by being examples to the flock. Peter makes it clear that a man called to be an elder must not use force, manipulation, bullying, intimidation, or anything of the sort in his role as an elder. Now, many men come into the eldership or into the pastorate because they have a lust for power. They want to be in charge of something. They want to be a man or the man. And those kind of men are not qualified to be elders. In fact, not only are they not qualified, they are dangerous to the flock of God. And so churches and sitting elders have a responsibility to carefully evaluate men who are entering the eldership, men who will be called to care for the people of God. And at Christ Church, this is not in the scope of my uh, sermon today, but we endeavor to do that here and we'll continue to do that. But we are not to be domineering over those in our charge. The King James says we are not to lord over those in our charge. We're not lords. We're not the lord of anybody's conscience. Jesus is. We are shepherds. Amen? Well, a lot more could be said about what it means to be an elder. But if the elders are endeavoring to do these things that I just described, it's a positive sign that that church is prepared to suffer well. However, nothing is gained if the elders, the pastors, are eager to pastor, but the flock is not interested in being pastored. Hence the second mark of a church that's prepared to suffer well. A church, in a church that's prepared to suffer well, the flock is humbly submitting to the elders. Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject, be submitted to the elders. Peter singles out younger people. He's not picking on younger people, but, but he's singling out younger people because younger Christians typically are more prone to being unrealistic about their leaders, right? Not picking on young people. That's just the Bible says, right? But trust me, there is such a thing as an old fool, right? And I need to pray every day that the Lord does not allow me to become one, right? But Peter singles younger Christians. They're usually less likely to know what they don't know. Sometimes I go to Facebook and I see what you young people put on Facebook 
And sometimes I might shoot you a message. But most of the time I think, gosh, they just don't know what they don't know. So he calls on younger people. Be subject to the elders. Now, submission to the elders of your church is not an absolute thing. Okay? The only absolute submission is to Jesus. All right? Elders get things wrong. We get things wrong sometimes, right? I had a man that I really respected many years ago told me that he got things wrong, but I didn't believe him until he got some stuff really wrong. Elders get things wrong from time to time. So, so there are times when Christians will need to humbly and respectfully disagree with their elders. All right? But that ought not be the norm. The norm is for Christians to submit to their elders because our submission to our elders, those who serve in the office, springs from our submission to Jesus Christ himself and a recognition that elders are the church's gifts to the flock from Jesus for our good. Amen? So you ought not be the kind of person that's always disagreeing with your pastors. You ought not be the kind of person that's always pushing aside the counsel of your pastors. But there are moments when we're going to get it wrong. And in, this, in those moments, we need the same kind of grace that we ought to be given to you in our interactions with you. Amen? Amen. This is definitely countercultural. We live in a society that worships autonomy. And so our default is to push back against any kind of authority in our lives, right? We don't want folks telling us what to do. We don't want people exercising authority over us, right? So we have to be especially careful, Christ Church, in this age, in this day particularly. We need to be careful that we are honoring Scripture by submitting to our elders. Amen? Here's one final mark of a church that's prepared to suffer well. Everyone in that church is clothed in humility in their relationships with one another. Let me say that again. Everyone in a church that's prepared to suffer well, because suffering will come. Amen? Going all the way back to the beginning, we will suffer. Whether it's just from the suffering that comes because we live in a world that is fallen or suffering that comes on us because we belong to Christ, churches and Christians will suffer. But the final mark of a church that's prepared to suffer well is that everyone in that church is clothed in humility in their relationships with one another. Elders and members have different roles, but it is God's will that both the elders of a church and the flock of the church would clothe themselves in humility. Peter says, clothe yourselves, 
all of you with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The word clothed here in the Greek is a word that referred to uh, the apron that a slave put on before they did their work. So you get the point that, that what Peter is calling us to do is to, to take the lowly position in all our dealings with one another, in all our relationships with one another. Peter is calling us to take the low position. In fact, humility literally means lowliness of mind. That's what it means. Lowliness of mind. Humility is the tax collector in the gospel who cries out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He doesn't have an inflated estimation of himself. And neither should we. Humility is the centurion's response when when the elders of Israel went to Jesus and said, Jesus, this man deserves for you to heal his servant. What does the centurion say? He says, I'm not deserving. He says, I'm not deserving. I'm not even worthy to have you under my roof. That's humility. Humility is the apostle Paul who is an absolutely brilliant man. Paul had the equivalent of two PhDs. And here's what he writes in Corinthians about the pastoral ministry. He says, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Paul is saying, I got nothing. I got nothing. Now, if Paul had nothing, what does that say about us? I got nothing. There is nothing in me that ought to puff me up towards anybody. Nothing whatsoever. Humility is held up as such a vital virtue in the Bible that it blows my mind that there is so little teaching about it in the church today. And I have my theory as to why, but churches just don't teach about humility. And we should. And it hasn't always been the case. Throughout history, church leaders have recognized the priority of humility in the Christian life and in the church. For example, St. Augustine once wrote, listen to what he says. He says, if you ask me what the essential thing in the religion and discipline of Jesus Christ is, I shall reply, first humility, second humility, and third humility. That's how important it is. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, says of humility, it is not humility to underrate yourself. Humility is to think of yourself as God thinks of you. It is to feel that if we have talents, God has given them to us. And watch this. And to let it be seen that, like freight in a vessel, they tend to sink us low. The more we have, the lower we ought to lie. Clearly, these men understood the value and the place of humility in the church. And this is what Peter is calling us all to do. He's calling us all to put this on. Christ Church, proud Christians is an oxymoron. We serve a crucified Savior. We serve Jesus 
who is God and was found in the form of God, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But when he came to earth, he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. That's who we serve. How could we be proud? Proud Christians and proud churches eventually come under the discipline and the judgment of God. That's Peter's warning here. He says God opposes the proud. But there's good news. He gives grace to the humble. That's a pretty easy choice here, right? Who wants to become an opponent of God? None here, I hope. And so the call is clear. We need to humble ourselves. But how do we grow in humility? Perhaps you're like me, and as I was preparing this message, I had to recognize, like, boy, I'm not as humble as I need to be. I don't see enough humility being cultivated in my life. Perhaps you think that. Perhaps you're more aware of your pride than you are of any spiritually wrought humility in your life. What can you do? Well, here's what I had to admit to myself this week. The reasons why I at times lack humility is because I'm not seeing the crucified Savior as I ought. And I'm not seeing him as often as I ought. If we're proud and we're puffed up, it's because we're not seeing Jesus quite the way we ought to be seeing him. Every manifestation of pride in the life of a Christian is a a reminder, it's an invitation to run back to the cross and see Jesus who is sinless, Jesus who is the darling of heaven, Jesus who is the son of the living God, Jesus who is the word of God, crucified on a cross for sinners. Every instance of pride is a reminder for us to go back to the cross and take a harder look at the cross. I hope you would do that. I hope you would join me in doing that. That's what I'm doing to try to cultivate humility in my own life. I believe that's where we can start. And the good news is, is that if we'll humble ourselves and we'll look at the cross and there at the cross see ourselves in all of our sinfulness, all our wretchedness, in all our weakness, then God will be faithful to lift us up. We won't have to lift ourselves up. Amen. God will not leave us in our despair as we look at our sin and look at our our failures and our weaknesses, but he'll lift us up. God is the one who lifts up the lowly. Amen. So that is my charge to you. Let us become a church that's prepared to suffer well by those of us who are elders humbly shepherding the flock of God. And those who are not, humbly submitting to your elders and all of us clothing ourselves with humility in our dealings with one another. Amen? Let's pray. And Ben, you can come up. Father, thank you for this word. Father, I thank you that your word does not tell us what we want to hear, but it declares to us what we need to hear. 
that we might truly be your people, that we might truly be effective witnesses of yours. So I pray for this church and every individual in it, that by your spirit you would help us to apply this word for our good and for your great glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.